0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Inside Insights, a podcast brought to you by Zappy. My name is Ryan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Patricia Montestioka, who's joining us live from Colombia. Hola, Patricia. Hello,
1: Ryan. I just love the way you just roll my last name off your tongue. You've gotten so good at that. Yeah, you're good at it.
0: I need to know you'll
1: be speaking Spanish.
0: I need to get back into this. I'm trying to convince one of my kids to learn with me um, and, uh, yeah, I really want to learn Spanish. I want to be fluent in Spanish, but I just haven't had time to, and I downloaded this app, which actually is pretty cool. It's called Babel. Oh,
1: it's and very good. That's a very, by good the app. way,
0: everybody listening, our podcast isn't cool enough to get sponsors. So I'm not actually like being paid to promote Babel. I just actually as a human oh. being downloaded it, but, um, it's a cool, it's a cool app. They have, um, basically they teach you how to speak in like sentences live. And so yep, you practice yep. the words. But one day I will um, I will learn to speak. I Spanish.
1: can just start speaking to you in Spanish and see what happens. We'll do we can do that. Julio and I will no. do that with you.
0: I have spent time in Central America and have made my way fine without speaking much because I, I did learn I did like study Spanish in high school, which in most American public schools means absolutely nothing. But I, I know enough to get myself into trouble. You know what I find funny? You don't do this as much as Julio Franco does. Um, right. but Julio Franco is also from Colombia and uh for those of you who don't know julio franco by the way follow julio franco do yourself a favor he's from Colombia, but he's lived in the united states for a very very long time you wouldn't know he was from Colombia by speaking to him if you met him in like a bar in boston no because you got a very much like american accent i would say Uh, yeah except for when he says things like maria and he and all of a sudden like (laughs) in the middle of a sentence and be like maria it's like damn man like it's unbelievable um (laughs) So, anyways, right. Julio, we love you. We also, uh, I would like to shout out Julio's late father, Napoleon Franco, an absolute legend in the market research industry, an absolute legend of a man who created wonderful children, including Julio. He, um, he has passed um, after living an incredible life, um, and, and this week is, uh, is is actually when his ceremonies are going on. Um, so we're going to dedicate this episode to Napo Franco, um, who yes. I know you know, Patricia.
1: I not only know him, I know him well. Knew him well. He before I met Julio, actually, I that's where I started my research career in Colombia. And he was one of the people that inspired me. He was one of the four people that brought insights and research to Colombia. So I was gifted and very privileged to have learned from him and worked with him.
0: You got to work with both Francos. That's pretty cool. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. Napo, your son's done pretty good and he's going to keep crushing it. Totally. Besides the fact that they're a father and son they have a common love which is the market research industry which you and i also mm-hmm. share um and today we're really excited we're going to meet with jessica southard who um who is really really a wonderful human being first and foremost she's got such a cool background uh, she was in the army and a lot of like strategic planning of how things were working, and obviously that's translated into a career in analytics. Um, but she's part of a really cool group in the Central Mars Insights function, and I think you know there's a lot of central global COE, whatever you want to call them, departments out there, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them aren't as well connected with their teams as they could be. Um, it's the global local tension that is is ongoing. Jess has a different approach, and we're going to learn all about that today. I think Jess and the team around her, both the local partners that she's curated as well as her leaders, have uh, quite literally transformed Mars's consumer insights function in 18 months. Um, most companies say they do it for 18 months, then they talk about doing it for 18 months, and then they try to do it for 18 months, and then they fail. Um, but not Mars. They're crushing it. And today, we have an absolute... An absolute pleasure to talk to Jess. I'm really excited to get into it. Should we talk to Jess? Let's do it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Inside Insights. Today, I'm speaking to Jessica Southard, my homie. And before I let Jess introduce herself, um, I got to tell everybody a funny story. So Jess and I met about two years ago, and we're in Boston for... Uh, an industry meetup and we, we hit it off. We were vibing. And so we were like, Jess is like, Oh, I'll walk with you. We were hosting a dinner at one of my favorite steakhouses in Boston. And Jess and I are solving world peace essentially on this walk. <laughs> and uh, for any of you who have never been to Boston, Boston's a disaster. It was designed for horse and buggy travel and then never upgraded for cars despite the big dig, but I live there. I should know better. I took Jess on a walk that took us in a full circle I think on about a 15 degree night. And what impressed me so much about Jess is while everybody else who was behind us was really mad at me, Jess just kept chatting to me and made me feel really good about it. Uh, so Jess, I wanted to thank you for not being mean to me on that cold evening in Boston and for still being my friend afterwards. Um, and I wanted to welcome you to this, uh, to this show. I'm psyched to talk with you today.
2: Thanks, Ryan. Truth be told, uh, I love to talk. You were, you were filling my bucket by just listening and letting me talk. Um, and you were also going to pay for my dinner. So, you know,
0: (laughs) So that's the secret. If I'm going to get lost in Boston, just make sure I'm buying steak. (laughs) (laughs) So Jess, you have a really cool job. That's so much I want to talk to you about around driving change and innovation. Um, but I I really want everybody to be grounded in sort of where you're coming from because you have such a unique view of the world.
2: Oh goodness. Well, well, thanks. My view of my world is staring out my window in Tennessee at four inches of snow and two inches of ice right now. Uh, but no, thank you. I, you know, I believe everyone has a really unique and special story to tell. Um, mine starts with, you know, I grew up in the military, moved 14 times in 17 years. Hence, I learned to get to know people. I learned the power of listening, talking, communication, um, went into the military myself. So spent five years in the army as an intel officer. And I joke that that really burdened me a strong passion and belief in intelligence or in the marketing CPG world, we call it insights, right? Um, so that's kind of where I got my, my feet wet a little bit. I got out after five years and started my CPG career at P&G. Um, again, fabulous place to really, you know, learn research insights, brand building, brand marketing, the power of big ideas. Uh, was there for eight years and then they sold the part of the business I was on to Mars. Um, and I'd like to think that that was probably one of the best things that has ever happened to me in my lifetime, other than having three children, because I truly believe Mars is a fantastic place to be. It's a great place to work. The people are outstanding and it really fits me culturally. Uh, so I've been at Mars about seven years. My current role, I am part of a corporate Insights team and I lead our corporate foresight, innovation, and exploration. Uh, And it really started off just the CMI insights explorer, hence our conversation today, you know, as I explored the world and, and the research industry, but it's also rooted in how do we try and build foresight as a core capability and push the organization to be more future-focused.
0: Well, I love I love your story. That's why I wanted everybody to hear it because I, I think the backdrop of how you discovered insights through intelligence is really cool. But a lot of companies try to create similar roles that you're in. You strike me through examples I've actually seen in real life as somebody who's absolutely nailed it. I don't know if it's your genius, your leadership's genius, or some combination of the both, but it's not just about tools. It's about actually elevating the bar to foresight and to actually helping the business predict what's going to happen. And that's something that I think is an audacious goal. But we've talked about this offline. I mean, it's, it's sort of where the industry needs to go because um, we can all read a data table. If it's not going to change how we work, who cares? Um, so I, I actually, before you just said those words, I didn't realize that was like the tail end of, of the remit but it makes sense. And and it also probably anchors you in a greater purpose than just like, let me go find some shiny technology. Right.
2: Thousand percent, thousand percent. And I go, you know, your what you said just now of like, Hey, anybody can look at a data table. I distinctly remember being deployed um, over in Iraq as part of the initial invasion back in 2003. And I was the Intel officer for a battalion of black Hawk helicopters. And, you know, we had to give a big briefing. And I remember like spitting out some stuff to our commander And it wasn't provocative and and it was a female and she just kind of turned to me. She's like, well, tell me something I don't know, right? And I think that has just really carried with me that if all you're doing is being a news reporter and reporting data that quite frankly, anybody could look at and interpret or read, that's not insightful, right? Right. Right. Insight is something that goes beyond what the data itself tells you. It's sort of that hidden insight and it makes people wanna act, right? Yeah. When I get information when we were deployed, someone sure as hell better wanna act. <laughs> and I feel like I've carried that with me into my 14 years in, in insights.
0: Yeah, so if, you, if, if the data point doesn't drive action or provocation or make somebody uncomfortable, I, I wanna say, first of all, thank you for your service. I've told you this in person, but um, <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a tough time for the world. Um, so thank you for your sacrifice. on business, I feel what you say. So I'm a business leader and I get data thrown at me all the time. Operational data, sales data, customer data, usage data, all sorts of data. And I can count on probably eight fingers how many times I've seen something and been like, holy shit, we're missing something. And that's the reaction that you're looking for, aren't you? And the good news is all eight of those moments, I remember being massive inflection points for Zappy as a company, but- the amount of time I get data and I'm like okay that validates what I see or that's a trend line okay fine or it it's it's actually rare and it, and it's becoming more of a, of a numbness the more data we're surrounded by it it really challenges what somebody who works in consumer insights or CMI or market research or whatever you want to call it is actually accountable for so what's that shift that you see because I, I we've talked about this a lot like people are actually coming into new roles with different expectations as evidenced by the, the, the really high bar you've set. So I guess what does the anatomy of a, of a really successful insights person today look like? And what are some of the struggles you see people having to get there?
2: I think first and foremost is, is being relentlessly curious, Hmm. especially in someone like my role where it's, it's, it's sort of a center of excellence, right? It's a corporate role. It's, it's um, rooted in being the expert. And I feel like what has made me even more successful is, hey, I'm not the expert, but I'm going to ask crazy what-if questions and be fascinated by things that no one else would be fascinated by. I think for all too long, marketing went to CMI or Insights and they asked a question and we answered. And to me, the, 100%. Shift, the shift that has to happen is, they come to me with a question and I respond with a better question.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: or they don't even come to me with a question. I see an opportunity, whether it's a growth opportunity, an expansion, an extension. And I ask that question, create an entire case study around it, and then push that to the business. Right. So I think that's one is is the curiosity versus trying to be the expert is, is probably one shift. Um, influencing. And to me, you it's ironic that as market researchers, we've said, hey, we're the voice of the consumer. We represent the consumer, which to me is you have to know people. You have to fundamentally know human beings, what makes us tick, what motivates us, why we do what we do. Now we have to apply that same thinking to our stakeholders and to our business partners, right? You have to know them as people and understand and anticipate what does my senior stakeholder need from me? What's going to motivate him to act on what it is I'm sharing with him, telling him, you know? Um, so it's ironic that we we should be the experts of people. We just thought about people as consumers, not in our company, and now it's it's thinking about people we work with and being able to influence influence without authority.
0: Part of me worries that. There's either imposter syndrome or self-confidence that needs to be ingrained in people because we used to be a department that got an, an- that got a question and stamped an answer. And I would, I would say your second thing is the ideal state if I was to choose my utopia. Hey, P- PL owner, you're screwed if you don't. Hey, PL owner, this segment of the population is ignored. Like that, that assertion to me is huge, but that requires a complete reframe of self identity used to be a master servant relationship in many ways between the business and the insights supply chain all the way down to the panel companies i mean it's, it's it, and so that reframe is big and so you do a lot of work um i think in coaching people and helping people so how do you how do you find people evolving and establishing that that confidence curiosity and consumer understanding are sort of table stakes if you've ever worked in market research. So it, your answer sort of makes me think, actually, this is actually in more people than I may have given them credit for, but how do we, how do, how do you help them get, get it out? Right. How do you help them navigate these environments? Um, do you have any, do you have any perspective on that?
2: Oh, I have lots of perspective. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned imposter syndrome. I don't know if you remember one of our very first times we met or interacted, I shared my first 30 days, my first 90 days. I do remember. The things I did when I moved into this corporate role is I talked to every single person. I mean, I talked to people all day long, outside the company, inside the company. I was a woman on a mission. My first 30 days, my goal was to talk to as many people as possible. And then I captured on a very simple one pager, what are the top five things I learned about my role? And what are the top five things I learned about myself? And it was very humble. It was very vulnerable. The five things I learned about myself were very personal and they spoke to, I have an imposter syndrome. (laughs) I lack confidence, right? Um, I am not good at putting myself first from a career standpoint because I've been a mom of three little kids for four straight years. Right. And I feel uncomfortable about that, but I shared that document with every single person I had connected with. And so one I think it said, hey, thanks for chatting with me. Here is the summary of everybody I chatted with in my first 30 days. But I think too, it also sort of role modeled, it's okay to not know everything. And it's not, you know, it's okay to not be 100% confident all the time. And right. I think sometimes as professionals and experts, we we don't give ourselves that. It's okay to not be perfect, right? And so I think how I have, how have I helped MARS is an organization in the CMI function, Overcome Imposter Syndrome. It started with sharing the, my first 30 days, but also sharing when I failed, how I failed. Um, I've led multiple webinars, multiple demo days, presented to smaller local teams. Um, I think it's being able to bring everyone along on the journey and say, we're in this together. Right. It's not about you being great, you being great to me. It's about all of us learning and going on this journey and transforming as one function. Right. And I, I'm a big believer that as a parent, as a leader, like you've got to be humble and willing to share your failures. I tell my kids all the time, it, you know, it takes rainy days to grow, and mama's not perfect. I wasn't ever a mom before it's, it's okay to make mistakes. I think that's where reinforcing that it's okay to make mistakes. You're never going to be the expert. I mean, the world around us is moving so quickly. It's the people that say, I'm going to be willing to try this, even if I'm not great at it the first time, the second time, the third time. So, yeah, I I think we all have a little bit of imposter syndrome in us. I I agree. I, I worry every day that people are going to come to me and be like, Hey, you're, you're the COE of foresight and you're not as smart as you think you are. And I'm probably going to respond with, yeah, you're right, but I'm crazy enough to ask some crazy questions. <laughs>
0: right. Who, yeah. Who, and who better because of that? Okay. So you've, you said a lot there. I'm now thinking, what do I want to unpack the most? Cause I could unpack all of this with you. Um, first, I will say, I love the vulnerability. Vulnerability is something that I, I mean, I could talk about this a lot um, because I think as a leader of people, If you're not vulnerable, how do you expect other people to be vulnerable? And to your point, if you're not vulnerable and if you're afraid to fail, you actually will fail because the markets move too fast now. So I love that you said that. I think the other thing that you said is a hidden gem of change management. That I bet your boss at some point was like, you really going to meet with all them people? But you listened to everybody. It, It shaped your worldview. But when you shared your worldview, everybody that read it felt connected to you. And as a result, connected to your success and bought into it. And it's an old lesson in human psychology that we forget, right? Like talk to people, listen to them, give them what they want. To to
2: piggyback off that one, it stemmed from, you know, as a little girl, I moved every single year for seven straight years and was forced to make new friends. And my dad gave me two pieces of feedback when I was probably six or seven. He said, number one, compliment someone every day. Love that. To the best way to talk to someone is to listen. And I think for me, I've just, those again, have shaped who I am, but also even in a role like this have been hugely instrumental in driving that change management and that shift in behavior. To give you some some examples, I mean, I moved into my explore role December of 2018, um, met with, God, 60 some people in my first 30 days, if not more. Captured my first 30 days, sent it to everyone, you know, moved on to to my 90 days. But that first year that I was in that role, we were able to execute 16 pilots. So we piloted 16 capabilities or tools that Mars had never used. Wow. Six markets. I have no direct reports. (laughs) So you talk about the power of listening to someone, being vulnerable, um, and closing that feedback loop, making people feel heard. It was like within the first ninety days, I had seven pilots up and running, and it was I wasn't pushing people. They felt connected to me and were coming to me saying, "Hey, I heard about this tool. Can we can we try and do this in France and Russia?" My job almost became not easy in twenty nineteen because there was it wasn't easy. But there's no way I would have been able to execute. 16 pilots in 12 months across six markets if I hadn't done the groundwork in terms of building those relationships and making people feel heard.
0: So, you know, Mars, like a lot of other big companies, is matrixed. Talk to us a little bit about how you're navigating that matrix.
2: Well, first off, Mars is incredibly matrixed. We joke that Mars is like a cheetah whose arms and legs are running in like multiple different directions. <laughs> I think it comes with being a family-owned company, right? It's not super hierarchical. We've got three parts of the business that operate as three different companies, right. different languages, different processes, everything, different cultures. To me, what was what made me successful aside from building that relationships and building that network is understanding the culture at Mars. And there's two things at Mars. One is we have an incredible fear of missing out. I, I just think it's this, it's this innate entrepreneurial spirit where we could always do things better. We could always yep. do differently. It's just, we're obsessed with what everybody else is doing. Right. So it's crazy fear of missing all culture. And two, it's very bottoms up. It's very grassroots. It's very relationship and word of mouth. And so to me, I leverage that to help mobilize a few of these capabilities, right? Because If, if we did a pilot in one place, I mean, I did multiple demo days, webinars, we had comms that went out every other week and it was like, people would see stuff that someone else was doing. And all of a sudden it became really cool and popular and exciting. And Zappy's a great case study. I mean, I think we went from like six markets to 17 in the course of like 12, 12 months, I tried the top down, Hey, I'm the center of excellence. This is the new tool, you must do this. And I tried that and it failed. It failed miserably. But when you show people and make it really cool and interesting, and then they hear about it from someone else, it's like all of a sudden it just feeds itself. Uh, but yeah, we've we've been very, very successful in scaling three of the pilots that we had done in 2019. I mean, they were, they were pilots, one market, one business unit. Yep. Here we are a year later, three of those capabilities are fully scaled. We've got corporate MSAs and contracts in place, and we're just firing on all cylinders.
0: What's your thought on spotting innovation innovation and and how to spot it, how to identify it? Not only you, but within the business itself.
2: Innovation, first and foremost, has to solve a relevant problem. I see too many people that want to go pilot a new tool because it's kind of this new, cool, silver bullet, shiny object. Yep. But they can't even tell you the business problem they're trying to solve. So I think one was being really clear on on the problem or job to be done. I think another big criteria for me was, is it going to change our behaviors? Interesting. what's, What's the behavior change we're trying to drive? And if I think about whether it's some of the DIY platforms, some of the more agile tools, they solved both a very relevant problem. We've got to go faster. We can't be the bottleneck in processes. But then two, um, they are forcing a behavior change, right? A big and one not- for some people, but within innovation teams as a whole. One criteria for me too, you know, was when I was in the explore role. I probably talked to almost 230 some startups, market research companies, you know, spanning nine months old startups to 10, 15 year startups. And to me, a big criteria when when I talked with them was not just what's your pitch to me, what's your off the shelf solution you're trying to sell sell me on, because I get that.
0: Yeah, for sure. It
2: was, what haven't you done that you would love someone to partner with you on that, that makes you feel uncomfortable. And so a lot of the pilots that we've done and, and even some of the work we've done with you guys as part of the IA, to me, that's, that's true innovation in the sense that it hasn't been done before on both the supplier end and our end. Um, and we both feel a little bit comfortable and, and there's gotta be a chance of failure. If there's not a chance of failure, you're not innovating.
0: It's a really good way to look at it. Are you, are, you, are you leaving your comfort zone? Are you building something together that's historically been an unsolved problem? Um, and, and I mean, we've seen this firsthand together, the intersection of you know what, what happens within a brand and what's happening in a software company. If you partner in the right way, you can actually achieve magic together. But also to your point of failure, 230 conversations, three things you've scaled. And you're okay with it. Yeah. So about 200 insights people, they're all getting phone calls all day, every day. I have a two-part question for you. What advice do you have for somebody who's not in a corporate role, Mm -hmm. but is actually functionally tied to insights, but dotted line to brand X and their P&L. And they see, you know what? What we're doing now ain't working. I feel quite literally like a survey monkey. How do I spot innovation and make changes? The people on the ground delivering insights or foresights to get to your, your, big, your bigger goal, their job isn't insights operations, but so often it's the way they operate that prevents them from getting to that goal. But the, it's like almost like a, the, the bad flywheel effect where it's like busy, bad behavior, more requests, more bad behavior, more decent answers, and it just perpetuates. So somebody who's not in a corporate role, how, because how, you weren't in a corporate role always, how do you navigate that environment and get the attention of your corporate teams to help you innovate or to spot innovate? Uh, I know it's a loaded question, but I just love your perspective.
2: And I, I think there's a few things there. I think one, one, just very personally, I have now garnered the reputation of if people want to do something differently, they just reach out. I mean, I had two conversations Amazing. with people this morning that are like, hey, I have this research question. How could I think about this a little differently? If I wanted to use a newer tool, what would you suggest? Like and, and, and even a lot of the CMI leaders have now mandated to their teams before you execute a research project, go talk to Jessica and, and get a recommendation on one thing that you could do differently. Right. So it's 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 both top-down and bottoms up.
0: Fun.
2: The other thing too, though, is I have counseled or at least coached people don't turn out, down an opportunity to have a conversation. And I'm bad. I mean, I probably get 50 emails a week still from people on LinkedIn, from people emailing me, cold calling me. And, and I can't talk to all of them, but I, I truly do commit to talking to three of them a week.
0: So you just, if for you, you've carved out that time to explore.
2: Yeah. Just explore. And I feel like it's, it's part of my professional development. Um, I enjoy people, right? I mean, research and insights is a pretty small world. And you you don't know what's out there if you don't carve out a tiny little bit of time. I would love every insights professional to maybe you, you turn down 20 of the random emails you get, but say yes to one, 30 minutes, doesn't hurt.
0: Right? I think it's good advice, Jess, because so often I chat to people, particularly those like embedded in a brand or category team, and they're like, you know what? I just mass delete them all cuz they all say agile and AI and so I just don't have time for any of it. And it's it's really an interesting dynamic where I do believe and you know this more than anybody we don't have a technological innovation problem in this sector. Mm-hmm. We have opportunities to improve, but you sit on the technology side of the industry you're like, okay, how do I bring these capabilities to life? How do I actually engage and one of the rules we have is no buzzwords. Cause if you're the only one not sending buzzwords, well then maybe you have a chance of standing out. Um, but it it is, it is an interesting piece of advice. And like, like you can just learn by talking to people. So yeah, I think, I think the takeaway from, from your advice is don't be so close to your busyness that you don't take a step back and learn and, and hear what's out there even if it is a sales pitch at the end of the day.
2: It's funny, I would, I would hop on conversations with, with some of the vendors and they immediately wanted to pull up their PowerPoint pitch and yeah. jump into things. And I was like, hey, let's have, let's have a conversation. Like, I'm really intrigued. Like, what was the problem you guys set out to solve? Because every startup sees a problem to be solved, right? Maybe a problem I didn't know I have.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: So I think um at A, I'm getting their take on, hey, where do you see the insights and in, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you see the industry in five years? And some of them can respond, some of them just want to get sold <laughs> or get bought, right? Like, but but I think it's it's those conversations that help me stay in touch with the industry, where its strengths are, where its weaknesses are, where it's headed that I can then use to shape where we need to be innovating more and doubling down more um, as Mars. More and more I'm hearing of like, how do you go beyond traditional panel and how do you tap into some of the DTC innovation that's coming, you know, happening and and leverage some of those third-party networks to sample real products, get feedback on prototypes, early prototypes, um, but I think that's a network that especially last, after last year, right? It's just exploded. Yeah. Um, and so how does the research industry sort of piggyback onto that as a way to do market
0: research? So this is not something I would normally say on a podcast, but don't forget you signed up to be on this committee with me um, <laughs> and you've got an invite coming your way because I want to talk about this specific problem because um, it's a big one. It's a really big Mm -hmm. one. All right. I have two more questions for you. You've been amazingly generous with your time. Um, And speaking of failure, by the time this podcast comes out, no one's going to know this, but my microphone broke in the middle of this conversation. (laughs) Both of us had our internet connection freeze once or twice. And guess what? We're still vibing, everybody. It's okay to fail. It's all good. And we're still here. And this podcast has been amazing so far. All right. Question number one for me is I couldn't agree more with your bottom-up point of view. If the people on the ground can't get value, it's going to fail. How do you go from it works bottom up to it's institutional? Because that's actually what you've done. So you've you've made it bottom up and everybody thinks it's their idea. But Mars does it a certain way now because of that. I, I love it, but I want to get inside your brain a little. Bit. And obviously yeah. at some point it will be less relevant. So there'll be some new thing you need to do. But how do you go to that? Because that's what you've done. And I find it to be extremely impressive.
2: I call it reverse mentorship or manipulation so uh i think when you created that traction at the bottom level and especially if the marketing or cross functional teams see the value right oh my god we got those results in 24 hours or like we could test so much more right and it's it's then those marketers tell their bosses and their bosses tell their bosses and then it goes back down the other way <laughs> so so I think it's um I, I've been talking about it as who are your receivers who's within your cross functional team who's going to be the receiver of of the change you're trying to drive and can help advocate that because then it's going to go back down the other way right um, and then it becomes it kind of does become top down at that point it's just being top down after being bottoms up um, to some extent.
0: So. It, it makes sense. You know, I, I came up as a salesperson in market research and I remember like, you know, all this bullshit advice, like you got to start at the top to your point. If the users and what we're, we're saying at the bottom, but what we really mean is insights managers who work on brands. They're not, yes. these are smart totally. people. Many of them have MBAs. Like they're not, totally. but their job is to build a specific brand or category, not yes. and work yes. on insights ops. But by accident, it always happens that way. If a bunch of people are excited, their bosses start to get like, oh, I like this. What you did is you were intentional about it. Whereas a lot of times it sort of happens by accident. So I, I was only going to ask you one more question, but I have to ask you a follow-up to this. Yeah. To the extent you're comfortable, mm-hmm. Sparks Network, yes. another genius of yours. Talk to us about the Sparks Network to the extent you're comfortable. How you set yeah. it up, how you mobilized it. Because you've essentially, without direct reports, mobilized an army. Um, so talk to us a little bit about this.
2: First off, Christina Macau gets credit for the Sparks idea. So I. Oh, I, I,
0: Christina, much love.
2: Oh, yeah. Where I give credit, give credit where credit is due. So it's funny. I The, the vision of the Sparks network was how do you create a network of change agents within the company that can role model the behavior change we're trying to drive. And w- one of the things we know as human beings, I mean, as parents, like we, we learn through social, right? Social learning is one of the most powerful ways in which you learn, right? It's like kids, you know, the, the oldest walks at a year, but then the next one walks at nine months, right? They right. have an old sibling, they're just mimicking all day long. So it was like, how do we create those change ag- agents and role models within the organization that can help? accelerate the transformation we're trying to drive. So we created a sparks network, not quite a year, about eight, nine months ago. um, And there was a champion assigned to each of the three segments, right? In full transparency, the vision was to amplify that and have 200 sparks, right? There's no reason every CMI associate can't be a change agent, right? Right. Um, The network really just has stayed the four of us But that in and of itself didn't exist previously. And so the four of us, the the Sparks champions connect pretty regularly, but we share case studies, we share feedback, um, we bring, I mean, we have very, very open, transparent conversations. Um, We've really leveraged incentives. We'll be having a conversation and one of the Sparks will mention someone on their team that did something really cool. I'll reach out and email that person. They have no clue who I am. But the fact that their spark said something to me, like I'm a big believer in praise and positively okay. reinforcing the behavior you want to see. And so whether it's, I use my own money and send someone a $75 gift card for Amazon, it's unexpected, but they it makes them feel, wow. Like someone there up there is talking about something I'm doing. And it makes me want to do more of it and encourage others to do it. So praise, recognition, formal, informal incentives. It doesn't, it's not that hard to send a, a quick 3 sentence email. And especially if it shows up unexpected, it's going to be worth its weight in gold.
0: That's awesome. So we have to give some love to Christina. I didn't realize Christina was the creator of this. There's a couple of really profound things for me there. Like What I like about the Sparks, within Mars specifically, you've got a food business, a pet care business, a confectionery business, very different in terms of market position, market cap, budget, size. So I remember when we had that coffee hour or happy hour, but it was at like seven in the morning. I wasn't sure what you wanted to drink at it. But um, I may have had a little Irish whiskey, who knows? You know, you'll never know because I'm remote. But what I loved about that was like the differences in the different business units. One was, without saying names, one was leaner. One was bigger with less risk tolerance. One was more ahead. And, and like that sharing was, was quite interesting to me. But what I really love about the Sparks Network is you go where there's momentum yes. and pull, and then everybody else comes. And, and so thanks to you, I've been giving this advice to any corporate insights function who will listen to me. Like do, if LATAM doesn't want to play, don't go to LATAM. Go get a win in China. Make China famous and then the Germans will come and make them famous. The second thing, uh, have you ever read the HBR article about feedback and its flaws?
2: Uh, maybe.
0: So I, you need a Redditor, or know. you're a genius. Uh, oh. I Zappy has a feedback culture. We have a degree of FOMO of like, we got to do it better. Somebody's coming to take it all away. And sometimes at the yes. detriment of like enjoying the ride. And like Mars, we're, we both have some pretty innovative stuff happening in our businesses, yeah. which I texted somebody at Mars earlier. I ate brownie M&Ms last night. They were fire. Um, But the the message in the HBR article is negative or constructive feedback is only someone else's interpretation of you. And the best time to give someone feedback is when they do something brilliant. And I've been practicing this and I, this is completely unscripted. We were not going to talk about this today. I've been practicing this for like the last eight months. And I give feedback more now when I see greatness than anything else, because it, to your point, it's like, oh, when I do this, this, and this, it re- it, re- it achieves a result. Um, mm-hmm. All right, Jess, you've been really gracious with your time. One yeah. final question. This one was not in the list I sent you last night. Uh-oh. But you have foresight in your job title, my friend. Yes. Five big things the insights industry needs to figure out in the next 36 months or trend, whatever. Big things, themes that you want to see solved.
2: Big things. I, I, I mean, to me, I go back to research was always intended to be people in the real world. And I think with the internet and mobile phone and things like, I feel like we've kind of like lost our way a little bit. And so I would love to, how do we leverage technology to get closer to real people, real emotions in the real world? So, I mean, we've talked, like, get people out of that test-taking mentality, make it more conversational, make it more dynamic. And and that kind of exists today, but I think we need to go even, even further and even faster. I personally feel there's a massive blind spot in terms of the emerging and developing markets, and maybe that's just Mars, but I feel like the industry... If I were to plot where all the innovation is happening, it's probably a ton of startups in the U.S., a lot in the U.K., Europe, China, and I would love to see a more diverse right because um, mm-hmm. people people are people, and and I shouldn't just talk to a U.S. consumer because you know they're they're next to me, right? I should go talk to people around the world. Um, I do think the space of AI is really intriguing of like, we just do too much research on stuff that quite frankly, we know.
0: Yeah. You already know the answer.
2: We we already know the answer. I mean, I think I guess like 15, if not more 15 to 25% of the research and data we generate is stuff that we already know the answers to. We're just breaking a tie. We're We're just getting a data point so we can move forward in the X process or x leader feels good right and it's that's organizational it's not just the research function or the industry but how do we build ai use ai to say hey we we have that answer right so that's probably the three big ones like how do we reach real people in the real world in a way that is is not doesn't doesn't feel like research doesn't look like research how do we go to some of the markets that quite frankly we don't do research in because we don't have those capabilities today. They're, they're not affordable. They're not scalable. You know, a lot of those still require CLTs or door-to-door and I have to believe we can get past that. So it should um,
0: be hard. Yeah, you're right.
2: So those are probably the three big ones.
0: I love it. Um, Jess, you're the best. Everybody, uh, if you want to get at Jess, she's, she's on LinkedIn. She's amazing. Highly recommend you get curious and chat with Jess about where the indus- insights industry is going. Um, I want to thank you very much for carving out the time. I know you're super busy. Um, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a while, even though we've had these conversations before. Um, I want everybody to learn from you. Um, oh, so yes, thank you. And good luck with your kids in the ice storm. <laughs> we all, we're all rooting for you.
2: Thank you. And honestly, I mean, I I love my job. I think that would be another closing advice. Never stop learning and love what you do. I always find things that fascinate me. I find people that intrigued me and I am, I, I love what I do. I work for a great company and feel blessed. So, but thank you, Ryan. This was good.
0: It was a pleasure. That was a really fun interview. Patricia, I think that one day you and I should get lost in Boston and uh, just talk and see where we go. (laughs) We'll see if we can have the same same route that Jess and I took on that frigid night.
1: Oh my God. I cannot believe you did that to that poor woman. She Uh was on fire though. She was so amazing during that chat with you. She was on fire. She's always a live wire though. I mean, in the best of all ways. I had no idea, to be honest, that she was a vet. I can totally see her in command of an Intel team. I would pay attention. I would do what she said immediately. Such
0: a boss. And in the history. Uh, and what I love about, uh, what I love about our interview is we were talking a lot about failure and experimenting and quite literally my internet just wasn't cooperating today. Damn, you know, yeah. everybody in the world is doing podcasts, is doing them on zoom and recording them. You know what? Shit happens. We made it, we it made does. it work. And I do think it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, we learned a lot. So As ever, you always do such a wonderful job of synthesizing the insights of our interviews. Um, What what were some of your key takeaways from the conversation with Jess, Patricia?
1: So I'm so glad we chatted with her today. I mean, she was all about empowering teams and empowering yourself actually. And I've had the pleasure of watching her in action these past couple of years, but there was still so much I learned about her and about her secrets today. There are six main takeaways. And I usually kind of start this summary with um, like her, her mantras, but I'm gonna save her specific mantras for the end because I don't want to steal any thunder from the six top that I have. The first one, maintain a relentless, her word, curiosity. I love that, relentless. She talks about no matter what role you're in in insights and marketing and innovation and, and senior management, whatever it is, focus on asking the best and most outlandish questions you can. Answer other people's questions with more questions, deeper questions, left field questions, so that you find something new. And you might even surprise yourself by finding new opportunities that way. But she talks about something that I thought was amazing. Carve time out to explore. In order to find innovation, you have to carve the time out. Because if if you don't carve the time out, everyday business will just consume your calendar and you won't see what's out there. And you might be missing something that could be solving a problem that you don't even know you have. So maintain the relentless curiosity. That was number one. Number two, understand that the role of insights is to be the voice of consumer. But... Did you remember that consumers are people? She talks about making sure that you know your consumers' real needs, desires, and motivations. You know, yours, your competitions, the categories, everybody's, but how do they live their lives? That's important. And then she goes on, if that wasn't huge enough, then she goes and says, remember that your stakeholders, your partners, your coworkers, your internal clients, all those are people too. Not consumers, not partners, not customers. people and she says when they come to you to help for help to solve a research question find out what they really need what's their business issue what pressures are they facing are they in trouble are they stressed that's going to go a long way to find the real answers that you need but it's also going to build relationships which are essential for everything that was amazing
0: i think particularly the the insights folks sometimes yeah. we glorify our stakeholders they put yes. their socks on just like we do, and they genuinely want us to help them make better decisions. And I, I, I think yeah. Jess's approach is one of the reasons why she's able to cut through.
1: Yes, and she and she actually stops and asks them people questions, not yes. consumer questions, people questions. And I love that because I've heard people, I've heard others say consumers are people too. And that's cool, I got that. But then she just threw that left, that curveball at us and said, you're a stakeholder are people too. And I thought to myself, well, damn lady, you are so right. I mean, many times we 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 have to stop and say this person has, you know, two sick kids at home and her husband has COVID and she still has to get this reported on time. How can I help her? Changes everything. But doesn't it when you think about that? Yes. Number three. I like this one. I think this is a personal favorite. Build confidence in yourself. It sounds so simple, but then she went on to talk about imposter syndrome and FOMO. We all know imposter syndrome. Many of us feel or admit to feeling imposter syndrome. I think you and I have always said that about ourselves. We also say, you said in the interview, and I've always said it, FOMO is real. But then she went on and say that both imposter syndrome and FOMO, fear of missing out, are good things. These two things make us go stronger, go harder, educate ourselves more, improve ourselves, and keep learning. And she said, remember that the bottom line is not about any single person being a hero or being great. It's about learning and evolving together, innovating our brands, products, processes, but also ourselves. So in order to have this happen, leverage the FOMO, leverage the the imposter syndrome to be vulnerable, share your weaknesses, strengths, successes, and failures. And this is what makes us understand that we're all works of progress. And that's what kills the numbness and eliminates the boredom. Talk about big words.
0: Boom, I could tell why this yeah. is your favorite.
1: You okay. know, I mean, drop the mic right there. Number four, work with your company's culture. And that sounds like a no-brainer if you think about it, but she speaks from experience. When she got to this new role, she told us that she started thinking, oh, I'm center of excellence. I'm at the top, I'm global, do what I say. And she said to us, that don't cut it at Mars. That's not how it works. And so she understood that she failed that way and she changed it. And she leveraged the FOMO in her company. And she started going bottom up, sharing what others were doing, making, making these things relevant, interesting, and cool. And that's what caught on, right? They created this, her and Christine, um, lots of love for Christine. They created something called Sparks, which is a social lear- learning endeavor inside Mars. And each unit, business unit has a spark and they meet and, su- and share successes. And every person that tries, whether they fail or succeed, gets credit. Credit where credit is due. She truly believes in that one. And she also said something that was really cool. Know that bottom-up becomes top-down when it succeeds. Think about that. (laughs) Isn't that cool? It was great. Number five, you asked her, how do you recognize innovation? You That was a tough question. I couldn't believe you were actually asking her that. But she was like really cool about it. She's like, be clear on the job that new thing is supposed to be doing. What is it going to do? Is it going to do something better, or worse than what already exists? Is it going to change behavior? And if it's changing behavior, should it be changing that behavior? Why is it doing what it does? And look for things that could possibly fail, right? In order to see how it could be fixed. Partner with somebody who is willing to take that risk for you. Because if it's not something that could possibly fail. It's not really an innovation. It's just a little bit of a tweak on something that already exists. And the more you do that, go back to number one. I said it at the beginning, number one, carve time out for, for, for exploring. This comes to be true here again in number five. Make sure that you take time because the more you explore, the more you recognize the winners right off. That time sure. to think,
0: right? If we don't give ourselves that time to think, we won't.
1: <laughs> no, we won't because BAU, business as usual, will take over.
0: Exactly. Oh, yeah.
1: So the sixth major, major nugget that she shared with us, make change possible by connecting with others. Now, you've heard in her, the whole interview and you've heard in my summary here how important people are for her and how important making the connection is but she says that change is only possible when you connect with others so understand what they need and give it to them and she talked about things that are really succinct that we can all copy number one her dad taught her something and she taught us compliment others that is so cool give credit where credit is due is basically what that means and then what this spoke to me is you can learn something from everyone everybody has a thing of beauty make it shine for them Another one, communicate by listening. You talk about this a lot, right? You're always telling us, listen, listen, listen. Make others feel heard, right? Connecting is also important by making a name for yourself, which sounds weird. Making a name for me makes me connect with others. Yes, make yourself your beacon of innovation. Be the innovator, capital letters, bold, underlined, italics, everything you want to do so that people know that if they need somebody to chat with about innovation, they can come to you leave your comfort zone and anticipate together with them, what barriers you could possibly together overcome and make it easier. So those are the six like nuggets that I found, like the, like things that we can start working on on Monday morning in our jobs, things that we can
0: actually copy. It's so true. I wanted to tell you something uh, personal. I was feeling personally a little overwhelmed yesterday, a lot going on. I cleared my whole calendar, right? you know what I spent the entire day doing exploring and it was just as advice. And I ended oh, up my, my entire Q2, Q3 focus written on one piece of paper. And I was like, Oh my God, I that's
1: love so cool. it. I love it. When that happens,
0: we need to be disciplined with our time. I don't care how senior, not senior, whatever. I don't care what you're doing. You need to give yourself that time to calibrate. Yeah, on, on She moment. had
1: four main mantras that I want us all to remember before we say goodbye. Number one, eliminate the numbness. Number mm-hmm, two, mm-hmm. Consumers and partners are also people. Number three, we are all work in progress. Believe in yourself. And the last and biggest one, never stop learning. Thank you,
0: Jess. Thank you, Jess. We love you, Jess. I can't wait to get lost And you know what? I think what we should do is not get lost, but you and Jess and I, and Kelsey too, and we're all gonna go out for steak at Grill 23 as soon as we possibly can. Oh, Um, That was a steakhouse we went to that night. If you're ever in Boston, and you want to stay at recommendation, look no further than Grill 23. They have... Uh, yeah. There's a lot of chains. They're one of the OGs, I would say. Um, so Patricia, it's been real. I wish I was in Columbia with you today. Someday I will be able to travel again, and I look forward to that. Um, so this will wrap up this week's episode. But next episode, we've got yeah. a really cool conversation. It's one I've been looking forward to for a while. I talk a lot, and you talk a lot, and I should say you work a lot in this space, this global local tension. Um, we're yeah. going to have... We're, this is the first time I've ever done this. We're going to have two guests on our show next time. Cool. We're going to have Alex Peters and Lucy Lindsley. Alex Peters works on the Vanished brand on the hygiene side at Wreck-It. They just rebranded mm. Wreck-It. You might yep. know them as RB. You might know them as Wreck-It Benkeiser. They're Wreck-It people. That's the new brand. Yeah. And Lucy Lindsley. Lucy Lindsley has a similar job to Jess. And I've the reason I wanted them on the show is I've just gone through a process with these folks of streamlining how they use Zappy and a a bunch of other technologies across the business. Those two, scientific in their partnership. And and I don't even know if they know it. So so we're going to talk to them about it. Um, And uh, I think it's it's definitely one to tune into. If you think of anybody that Patricia and I should be learning from, hit us up. LinkedIn, email, or at insideinsights at zappiestore.com. We also would be very gracious if you are getting value from our podcast, if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and even like our Inside Insights page on LinkedIn. Um, we are, as ever, trying to break algorithms so we can spread the word to more people. Um, we'd like to thank you for your time and, and, uh, and, and for your listening, as always. And Patricia, I'll talk to you soon, my friend.
1: Talk to you soon, amigo.